This is Andrew and Joel. Hello. On adversariallearning.com. We have some big news, right, Joel? Oh, we have, we have some excellent news for you. For, I mean, this is going to really, I think, improve the listener experience. Totally. Um, so, so the news is that this episode of Adversarial Learning is brought to you by our delightful sponsor, the Demystifying Data Science Conference, uh, which is put on by Metis. What's Metis? Metis is a bootcamp for uh, learning how to become a data scientist. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. And so let me tell you, uh, first I'll tell you about the conference, and then we'll look at their schedule because I think it's interesting. So are you data curious? Are you an aspiring data scientist? Metis is launching Demystifying Data Science, a free live online conference from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. On Wednesday, September 27th. Okay, over 25 top-level speakers in the field will discuss the training, the tools, and the career path needed to achieve the, quote-unquote, best job in the United States. Demystifying Data Science will also feature the following. Live talks of 18 minutes each, followed by Q&A. 18. 18. That's, uh, I don't think my talk's going to be 18. That's fine. Interactivity involving real-time chat, worldwide Q&A, polling, and sharing. Replay for those who wish who sign up and wish to access content later. And so if you want to find out more about this event and sign up, you can go to thisismetis.com slash demystify. Or if you uh, if you Google Metis demystifying data science, you'll probably get it too. Uh, and, and so uh, I thought we would go and, uh, you know, look at their website, thisismetis.com slash demystifying data science, and look at the speaker schedule. So a lot of talks uh, about getting started in data science. Um, so first talk Getting a data science job is not about stacking up prerequisites and hoping someone picks you. I disagree. I think you know, getting a data science job, uh, according to everyone I talk to, is uh, is making sure that your prerequisites are stacked up just right and hoping that somebody picks you. So uh, I always hope someone picks me, but then uh, actually I don't get offers that often. So maybe yeah. maybe I should not. Maybe <laughs> I should hope less. Um, okay, next talk: five most important things in data science. Okay, How I mean that's that's. Sounds like the right number. Of without looking, things. how many can you name? Oh, without looking. Um, I would say probably a, uh, a, a strong internet connection, uh, a solid power supply, you know, some some sort of storage medium, um, uh, some kind of compute, uh, compute uh, what would you say, like maybe a central processing unit? Sure. What's that, four? Yeah. And That's you left four. Google and Stack Overflow. Totally. I mean... Okay. <laughs> Um, next talk, how I became a data scientist despite having been a math major by adversarial learning regular guest, Tim Hopper. He's, um, yeah, he's our most common guest here. Self-recommending. Five steps to launch your data science career with Python. Okay. Okay. Um, with Python. If someone asked me how to launch their data science career, I would tell them with Python. So. That's probably the thing to use. Yeah. But why, what, are the, what are the five steps, do you think? Um, step one, learn Python. Step, well, for, no, first, probably stack up some prerequisites. Learning Python, that counts as stacking prerequisites. That's one, okay. Um, step two, I, I'm not sure. I guess okay, I'll, so I'll have, to, have to tune in, yeah. Okay. Fixing the hot mess. What you're doing wrong to hire and get hired in data science. Okay, that sounds good because I'm doing it does sound stuff good. wrong. Yep. Um, conversation with a data scientist. That sounds like uh, our podcast. It does a little bit. Interview with a data scientist. 
Um, the practice of data science, harnessing the power of community to excel your career in data science. Okay. Okay. That's probably, that's probably like, you know, being on our podcast and posting tweets about things, how to learn data science. Okay. That's a friend of the podcast, Chris Albin. Is it with Python though? Probably. I think think he mostly does Python these days. Yeah. 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 Good. Um, statistics and the art of deception. That's, That's awesome. I, I like that topic. It's like the, uh, the classic, uh, how to lie with statistics title. Yep. Yeah. Um, that's great. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to watch that one for sure. Open the black box, how things work matters. Um, okay. So in model interpretability, hot topic. Um, is, is it model interpretability or just even understand how your model works rather than just using psycho well, learning? Yeah. Okay. So maybe either way, more. Either way, I like that topic. Go after your data science dreams. I, I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Becoming a data scientist. Yep. Okay. That's what it talks about. 88 lines, about 44 data scientists. That's my talk. <laughs> I, know, I know what I'm doing at 4.30 on September uh, 27th. Yeah. Don't forget, that's 4.30 Eastern. So that's like 1.30 <sighs> in the real time zone. Why not UTC? Come on. Yeah. Okay. How to learn deep learning when you're not a computer science PhD. That's okay. A, that's a good topic. What predictive modeling can and cannot do. Good. Uh, so Good cl- classification based uh, title. I know. So isn't that talk about everything? Yep. <laughs> it's like it's like what you can what they teach you at Harvard and what they don't teach you yeah, at Harvard. That's nice. Preparing <laughs> for the data science interview. Awesome. Yep. What exactly does a data scientist do? That uh, seems like a very uh, broad topic. I would like to know. Is that a reference I'm supposed to get? Okay. Probably not. I never get references. I like it. I like AB it. testing in the wild. Does AI dream of electric sheep? Okay, I like that. Philip K. Dick. Um, yep. Recognizing cultural bias in AI. A mm-hmm. Very, uh, very timely and uh, mm-hmm. current. Zero to AlphaGo in eighteen minutes. Wow, that can be interesting. Uh, did did yeah. you watch the AlphaGo? No, I did. Uh, I mean, I, I watched a few minutes of it, but um, uh, it looked, you know, one of those like really riveting but boring things. It was actually and, really interesting. So I know nothing about Go, but I watched it. And they had this uh, commentator who's, um, you know, he's like the Western American guy who's like really good at Go. Uh-huh. And so he tried to explain things for lay people. And it was actually, oh, cool. it was pretty fascinating. I still don't really know anything about the game, but. Uh, did you watch it with your kid? Is that right? I did, yeah. And she didn't really get it either. But Yeah. Um, cool. uh, I've tried playing Go. On, uh, you know, they, you know, the online chess and, uh, and Go sites. Um I just, you know, I, I, I had not spent t- enough time with it to, to really grok it at all. So I, I bought Madeline uh, a chess game. It's actually no stress chess where you like turn over cards and then tells you what piece to use. So it's easier oh. to learn. Uh-huh. Um, but she very quickly lost interest in playing chess, but she likes to use the pieces to act out all these little dramas. And she calls it playing chess pieces. So, so like the king and the queen will go on an adventure and then they'll like fall in love and someone will have to go. Oh, and, that's so good. And rescue them and like. She loves that game. That's amazing. I like it. Yes, yeah. hilarious. <laughs> That's cool. It's actually like the it's it's such a creative way to use you know the these characters that are that actually come from that type of Lord of the Rings type of uh, environment. It's awesome. Yeah, she, she invented all these mythologies around it. Like you know, kings and queens and bishops can use magic. Um, wow, really? Yeah, and knights are very. Uh, Knights jump, which is obvious. Um, rooks are very fast, so if they need to get somewhere fast, that's that's the and anyway. And then she yeah. she puts on all these little plays. It's great, sweet. Um, and then uh, lastly, 
at 9.30 p.m., which is only 6.30 p.m. in real-time zone, um, accelerating your data science career with a boot camp, a Metis alumni panel. So, so that's a lot of talks. And, you know, if we're honest, I could never do 12 hours of talks. Um, but it's online and virtual and free, so you can just kind of pop in and pop out. That's you know, great. Pop in for Tim Hopper's talk. Pop in for my talk. Yeah. You don't, have, you don't have to get on an airplane. That's nice. I know. Or yeah. deal with traffic or that Airbnb that hasn't been cleaned up yet. Well, it's on a work day, so I actually will have to deal with traffic because I have to go to work. Okay, so it starts at 7 a.m. Pacific. Got it. Okay. Um, oh, wow. That's, yeah, that's really early. Anyway. Well, you know, and, and thank you. Yeah, thanks again to Metis, and uh, I, I'll definitely be popping in for this. Yeah, so uh, again, if you want to sign up for this, it's free. It's online. You can watch as many or as, as few as you want. Um, just go to thisismetis.com slash demystify. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think... I think is that the right URL? Because I'm on another one, demystifying data science. I think that's the shorter one. If you if you just go demystify, it'll redirect you to that one. Um, anyway, I, I think uh, some of these talks will be pretty good. Um, and you know, pick the ones you like, and make sure you pick mine because it'll be a hot mess. Um, <laughs> and then there's another one that's about being a hot mess. Yeah. And yeah. So speaking of schooling and training. Schooling, right. So it's uh, it's back to school season, and this is actually our, our back to school episode. Yeah, that's right. So today is the first day of kindergarten for my for my five year old. Uh, they did a half day, you know, so you start at normal time and we'll be picking it up at eleven. And, you know, it's it's a it's a big time. A lot of parents were getting choked up and you know, a lot of people getting dust in their eyes and stuff like that. And it was pretty, pretty cute seeing everybody get in there with their backpacks and sitting down and finding where they'll, you know, where, where they'll be and who they'll have to tolerate for the, for the next nine months. What kind of backpack did uh, Addie get? Oh man. She had a hand-me-down from uh, Lucy across the street and it is a pink sequined backpack. Oh, that's nice. Madeline had a BB-8 backpack last year. It's got a right. hole in it. She wants a Harry Potter one this year, but okay. Harry Potter's not that trendy right now. So there's not like, there's not that much selection of Harry Potter backpacks that are good or cheap. Harry Potter's really big in uh, in the analogy space, right? I think uh, yeah. people use it for for explaining politics to themselves. Yeah, these days for some reason I don't know why it's big in the world of politics and it's big in the world of six year olds. At least my six year old and uh, Madeline starts school on Monday. Okay, so um, today is but that's unschool, right? So how's that different? Um, right, so Madeline. Uh, so Andrew's kid attends uh, public school, right? Yeah. So they're probably going to be it's making normal, her do normal, worksheets. Normal yeah. Homework. There's a schedule. <clears throat> There's going to be choice time, uh, which means that they get to do something that they can choose. There's no homework. So I went to the uh, to the to parent conference last night, and um, no homework. Our teacher does not believe in homework. He thinks it's disruptive and it creates stress and tension in the in the home that doesn't need to be there and so i was relieved to hear that um as somebody who hated school uh, all the way up until i went back to finish my bachelor's on my own terms I'm, i was happy to hear that but yeah you know a schedule and <clears throat> snack and lunch and uh desks and you know glue and uh, scissors and stuff like that nice yeah so uh my kid goes to a sudbury school and sudbury is kind of they call it democratic schooling or, or free school or kind of like unschooling. They don't have a curriculum. They don't have a schedule. They don't have homework. They don't have classes. They don't really have teachers. They have staff members. And the kids go there and they just do what they want all day. 
Is it based on uh, John Holt style, raising your kid just as a person and having him with you? Or, I mean, is it, it's, that's a little different because it's, that doesn't involve a a school building. Right. So it's, I don't think it's, it comes from the same place philosophically, I would say, but it comes mostly from the belief that, you know, we're trying to train children to become people or not train them, but we're trying to give them a space to grow up and find themselves and learn about themselves and learn about things. Um, And so if you tell them what to learn you tell them how to manage their time. You tell them what to work on. You tell them what's important and what's not important. Then they're not learning to manage their own time. They're not learning to explore what they're interested in. They're not learning to learn for the sake of learning. All of that. They're not. So le- the incentives are wrong, and uh, they they don't have the uh, the self motivation, right? So there's one argument from incentives. Um, there's also another strain of argument that what we do to our kids in terms of you must sit in this seat from, you know, 9am to 930. And then you must take your bathroom break at 930. And then you must raise your hand if you want to talk is in some sense, a form of violence against children. And that telling a kid, you know what, you must ask permission in order to use the bathroom (laughs) is really cruel in a way, right? Awful. Yeah, yeah. Um, you must ask permission in order to speak. You must ask I permission remember, in I, order I to speak. I remember from, from I remember from elementary school that teachers using withholding bathroom privileges as a punishment. Yeah. And yeah, so well, you know, I mean, I hope, jeez, uh, I hope, I hope Batty's going to turn out okay. I mean, most but, most kids go to regular schools and do turn out okay, right? I guess. I mean, I went to regular school and did not. So, right. and same with me. But yeah. or maybe they're all pretending to be okay. Um, but for me, I'm, you know, I'm deeply philosophically an unschooler. And I think I've talked about this before that in my mind, there's not 12 years worth of stuff that needs to be crammed into your brain between, you know, kindergarten and graduating high school. And you can probably, it's probably like a year and a half tops. I, I would, I would think so. And, you know, forcing kids to study things that they don't they're not interested in and that aren't taught well um, is not a good use of their time. Yeah. It's robbing them of their, their freedom and their agency. Right. Yeah. I mean, so I have this, uh, this story, I may have told it before that when I was in college, I took this sociology class called conceptions of human nature. It was all these books, you know, readings about sociobiology and human evolution and things like that. And because I was taking it for school and I was taking it pass fail, I just kind of like skimmed enough of the readings to pass the test and that was it. And then after I graduated, I, you know, I got into some of these topics and I read a book and I was like, this book was really interesting and it seems familiar. And I realized this book was assigned for that class that I took. But at the time I couldn't be bothered to read it because it was for a class and you know, I had so much other work on my plate. And much later when I approached it on my own terms, I actually, I found it fascinating. Um, and so that experience I think shaped a lot of, the way I feel about these things. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, uh, I experienced school as, you know, something that, uh, that I definitely didn't want to do. Um, I had, uh, I had some pretty poor teachers in the, in the first several years. Um, I found that, uh, you know, even teachers were teaching things that weren't true. I mean, I, you know, I remember specifically, in some, you know, science class in junior high, uh, the teacher saying something 
incorrect about how trees grow. And I, you know, wanted to debate it and I got sent to the principal's office for it. So, I mean, if that's, if that's, you know, if you're trying to kill any kind of like creative thought or engagement, that's, that's one way to do it. You know, I remember my high school teachers, they were real sticklers for things like typos and essays and, mm-hmm. you know, missing things like that. And they said, you know what, like we're in high school and so we're going to be lenient, but when you get to college, you put a typo in a paper and they're just going to fail you on the spot because that's how college is. <laughs> Yeah. And then it's the big leagues. And then I went to college and like, if I put a typo in a paper, the professor would like circle it. And that was it. Like, yeah. it's like, Hey, by the way, there's a typo here. I thought you should know. And then otherwise he totally didn't care. And, yeah. and so I'm like, why did the high school like drill this into me that I should be super afraid of this? Because in college, no one cares about that shit. Yeah. I mean, uh, in high school, I ironically found John Holt's books in the, the library and started reading them and, I thought it was a really interesting take that um, that kids learn on their own. They ha- they are motivated to learn. You know why? Because it's fun. Learning's fun, and it's inherently fun. And if you just let them do it and follow you around and go to your work or whatever, they're going to learn, and they'll figure out what they want to learn. If they want to learn about dinosaurs this month, that's great. If they want to learn about the planets next month, that's awesome too. And then they'll ask you, why is it a triangle? You know, like that's the kind of question from my kid that I really enjoy getting like, daddy, why did they call it a triangle? You know? And you're like, well, I don't, what do you think? You know, and just chit chat about it. It's fun. So, uh, Madeline, uh, you know, school's been out all summer. She's been going to camps and the, the first week of the summer, she went to this camp at the zoo, um, which was, which was one of her least favorite camps. Actually, she went to a lot of camps, but anyway, one of the days uh, I picked her up and I said, Madeline is so good at time arithmetic right so if okay so you know if it's like 10 15 and they'll say we're doing this at 11 she'd be like okay 45 minutes so she'd like get her on the uh, cassandra team because uh, they they deal with vector vector clocks all the time so she's awesome. she's really good at that and yeah. and you know obviously she goes to sudbury school they don't teach they don't teach them anything they pretty sure they don't teach them that but the reason she's good at that is we drive around in the car with the gps and the gps always tells you Here's what time you're going to get there. Here's how many minutes are left. And cool. she stares at that and she's obsessed with it. <laughs> That's great. And and so just by staring at that and, and by continually asking uh, questions about it, she, she'll be like, how long do we get there? I'm like, look at the GPS. She's like, eight minutes. She's like, okay, in five minutes, how long will it be? I was like, I don't know. You tell me. And so like just with that give and take by the GPS, she learned to be really good at time arithmetic. And, That's cool. And so she doesn't um, – She's not that great at addition or, you know, multiplication or anything like that, but, you know, she's smart enough that she'll pick it up when she needs to. And, you know, she, she reads reasonably well, even though they don't do reading at school. So. Okay. So, but it's, it's your own time. Your, your day is your, your, your day, right? So she could read if she wants to. And she could read if she wants to. Uh, There was a while last year where she took her iPad and watched a lot of Netflix um, at school, (laughs) which they're allowed to do. That's great. Um, they are allowed to, um, there's a gas station that's it's a short walk away from the school. They're allowed to walk there during the day and buy candy and come back. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the littlest kids, there's like a certification system. So you have to be certified to go off campus unsupervised. So if you're in, you know, a little kid, you can't just leave and go to the gas station. But um, That's probably good. But if you're certified, you can go. And then some of the older kids are certified to chaperone younger kids. So um, they do it that way. So it's, uh, is this the only Sudbury school in the area? It is. There's rarely, I want to say there's on the order of 50 or so in the country. 
Um, there's rarely more than one in, in any given area. I think there's a couple other ones in Washington State, but they're in kind of random places. Uh-huh. But I know, you know, there's one in Houston. Oh, one of our friends was thinking about sending his kid there. Um, there's a couple in California. There used to be one in Hawaii. I don't know if it's still there. I had a friend who taught there. And, yeah, there, I mean, the original one is in Massachusetts. Okay. It's called Sudbury Valley School, which is where the name came from. But, yeah. So it's different. It's different than Montessori, but you know Montessori also has a similar vibe to it, right? Where you you're all in the same room, older kids mentor younger kids. Sort of. I mean, Montessori. My understanding is that they do bands, right? So maybe like all the two to five year olds will be in one room, and then all the six to nine year olds will be in one room. Um, and then they also have they'll set things out like here are the things we want to work on today. Whereas this is like total age mingling, where yeah. it'll be like you know, a five-year-old and a 17-year-old, you know, sitting next to each other working and doing kind of whatever they want. Uh-huh. So, it's, and, and, you know, it's a, I think a lot of discussion about education comes down to outcomes. So, I mean, you know, with the boot camps, one of, one of the metrics they have is, you know, 95% of our graduates are employed within uh, or have job operators within, within a few months. So, is how long has Sudbury been around? I'm curious. Um, a while, I would say, on the order of like 40 years, maybe. Okay. Um, and do kids do okay after they leave Sudbury schools? Uh, you know, I don't know if there's like a good data set on that. That'd be interesting to collect. Um, anecdotally, there were about five kids who graduated from the school this year. I feel like maybe three of them are going to college, and two of them are kind of doing their own thing. So it's like it's like uh, kindergarten age up to high school ish, or what is it? Yeah, exactly. So when you're you know high school graduation age, you can get a high school diploma by I think writing an essay and basically giving a presentation to the whole school. Okay, cool. And um, yeah, I mean it's such a personal decision, right? So it's it's really just up to the parents. Like if it if it's not working for for the family, then then people wouldn't do it. Yeah, I mean that's that's one of the interesting things is that. Uh, you get kind of a bimodal distribution a little bit of one kids whose parents are kind of like true believers in the system. And then two kids who really struggled in the normal system. Okay. So, um, so they're just trying something out. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, the regular school didn't work. I better try this. So some kids have been going there since they were four and then some kids, you know, start in, in in school i was just baffled that anybody liked it you know it was it was that bad for me you know and you know my mom uh my mom enjoyed school and so she just she didn't she remembers not relating to you know having a a kid who just just hated school every every minute you know but i guess some people like school my kid likes school she loves preschool and she enjoys having a schedule she enjoys you know, tasks and things like that. And I, I mean, if that's it, it we're just going to try this one out and see, see how it goes. I mean, we're already paying the property tax that uh, is basically her tuition. So we're just going to take advantage of that for now. Yeah, it's, been, it's been funny. Madeline, you know, Madeline likes school too, but she likes the, the way the Sudbury school works. So all summer she's been going to camps and, you know, these camps, some of them are very structured and, and she really didn't like that, but some of them are pretty unstructured. It's like, put the kids in the room for an hour and let them play what they want. Then go on the, go on the playground for 30 minutes, then go on a field trip, so on. But so there is some structure, but it's not like sit at a desk and do stuff. It's like, 
you know, recesses from 10.30 to 11. And she found that really kind of, she came home and complained to me one day. She's like, I don't understand, like, why they say recess is over. I wasn't done playing. Yeah. Uh And so, you know, she's she's got that mindset pretty deep into her now. So I don't, she may be ruined for like a regular school. (laughs) What do you mean recess is over? (laughs) Or a job, right? Yeah. That's fine. That's that's funny. I mean, are there uh, so is it uh, are there musical instruments and books and puzzles and stuff like that, or how how's the the classroom set up? There are, there are so there's a there's a music room that's actually really well stocked. It's got a bunch of guitars and piano um, and drums and everything. But she's not certified for that room. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an art room that has you know painting and drawing and everything like that. And I think she's also not certified to use that one unsupervised. Um, there's like a little kids kind of room that has train sets and blocks and dinosaurs and books. There's a older kids lounge area that has older kid books and a bunch of couches and, and things like that. There's a computer lab that I think people mostly play Minecraft in. There's an active room where there's like climbing stuff and people play, you know, indoor Oh, like the, games. The, the hand holds screwed to the wall or something? Not or? so much that, but more, you know, like, you know, sometimes in schools, they have those little lofts that you climb a ladder to get into. Okay, sure. Mm-hmm. Then outdoors, they have like some monkey bars and things like that. There's a, the schools by creeks, so you can get certified to go down and hang out at the creek. Oh, yeah. Um, the kids play games in the parking lot. So there's a, there's a bunch of different rooms. There's a kitchen. Some of the older kids, you know, cook stuff, and sometimes they'll make pizzas and then sell them to the other kids. Or Yeah. Oh, wow. So Like actually cook? Yeah. It's like a real kitchen. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So again, you got to be certified for that. Once you're certified, they'll say, you know, Thursday is going to be pizza day. So one of the staff members will help them and they'll bake pizzas and, you know, sell them a couple bucks a slice to other kids. Mm -hmm. Sometimes kids just do random bake sales. They just bring in cookies from home and sell them. Like it's a very, on on one hand, it's, you know, this total like hippie thing and the people, you know, in Seattle. So everyone there is, is a socialist, right? But then at the same time, like, because it's anything goes, kids come in and they're like, I'm going to sell cookies and, you know, go home at the end of the day with 20 bucks that I made selling cookies. So that's cool. All right. Are they, uh, do they have any curriculum about data science, like preparing these, these children for the, uh, for the hottest job of the 21st century? Oh, or? Uh, of course. Okay. Uh, so do they teach them how to divide and add and things like no, that? They, they don't teach them anything. Okay. Well, you know, I mean, they need to stack those prerequisites up though. They literally don't teach them anything. <laughs> Now, now, if a kid came in and said, I want to be a data scientist, then one of the staff would sit down with them and help them come up with a plan so they could do yeah, that. That's um, cool. But there, I've talked with someone who used to be a staff member there, and I'm like, you know, have you ever thought about just offering these optional classes? You know, say, you know what, we're going to teach you about arithmetic, and you're not required to attend, but if you want to, you can. And they said, no, um, we don't want to do that because even – Offering a class that comes from the staff feels like kind of pushing something on the kids. Okay. So they say, if a kid comes to us or kids come to us and say, we want arithmetic class, then we would do it. But we're never going to basically come out and offer that. Huh. My kids. It's, it's, it's really, it's a really inside out view, I guess, you know, I mean, they even, you know, it's shocking to me that, that, uh, that they don't do the the written writing and arithmetic stuff. So. so, so Madeline's only been there a year. My experience, like you know, I I met and talked a little bit with the kids who graduated last year, is that they all seem very kind of you know well spoken and well adjusted and mm-hmm. you know 
confident and good at managing their time. And, you know, maybe they, they're probably not very good at trigonometry. Most of them, you might guess. <laughs> um, and, and maybe they don't, you know, they haven't memorized all the factoids about American history and it's possible they can't diagram sentences. Um, but don't, I mean, do they, yeah. Don't you have to love math as a child to become a data scientist? What was the, you have to have to love it. I think so. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I loved math as a child. But oh, I'm just joking about that guy. Uh, I forget his name, but talking about how you you have to have had an, a, just a, a passion for mathematics as a child in order to be a machine learning researcher or something like that. It's interesting. I, I did love mathematics as a child, but my understanding of what mathematics was was like way off in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, how so? You know, I, I guess the close. I was really good at you know arithmetic. I was really good at mm. algebra. Um, mm-hmm. you know, solving algebraic equations and things like that. But, it, you know, then I majored in math, went to math grad school. And so I, I got this very different perspective that math is, math is about proving theorems and math is about, you know, coming up with useful abstractions and being able to reason about them and developing intuitions, um, about mathematical concepts. And none of those uh, other than like in, you know, in geometry, we used to do these two column proofs. That was when I was in what, eighth grade, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. That Lotus was ponens and stuff. What, what was that? Yeah. You know, like prove that if two triangles are similar, then they have the, yeah, something like that. So yeah. that was the kind of the mathiest thing that I did. Otherwise it was, you know, here's, otherwise it was like turning a crank. Here are two yeah, equations. Learn, learn. Here's how to solve for X and Y. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Here's a, Do you have enough information to solve for X and Y? Yeah, Things like that. Um, and, yeah. and so I really liked that stuff and I was really good at that stuff. But, um, you know, I, I don't think those are not the skills that make you a good data scientist, right? Yeah, I mean, so is is, is knowing your times tables uh, something that people need to, to memorize? I remember just being tortured by times tables. Um, I'm glad I know that stuff, though. It's It's... Now I, I can do arithmetic pretty quickly. I'm, but uh, yeah, I don't think you need. Yeah, I I don't know. I think, I'm not sure what I'm not sure what you need to be a uh, data scientist. Um. So so here's here's my perspective on that. Um. I think if you want to be a good data scientist, you should be able to do back in the envelope calculations in your head. Yeah. And I think you can't do that if you don't like know how to multiply in your head, and you can't multiply in your head if you don't have your timetables. And so I'm not talking so much like. Fermi estimates, you know, the one where it's like, estimate how many piano tuners there are in New York City. I don't, I don't like those questions. Estimate how many alien uh, life forms there are in the universe, right? Right. But, but things like, you know what, I have, gosh, I've got 25,000 files, each is about three megs, and I know that I can process, you know, mm-hmm. two megs a minute. How long is it going to take me to process them? Well, mm-hmm. you know, yes, you can sit down and write that out, but it's handy if you can just look at it and, and kind of yeah. do it in your head. That's the kind of thing... Uh, that I think is useful. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a requirement. It's not, um, I mean, it's not a requirement, and it's hard to test for. But I think that if you're not comfortable doing that kind of stuff, you're going to. You're going to hate the job. I, I think so. Yeah. So I mean, do you need? Um, it's always the question. Do you need? Uh, do you need a stats background? Do you need uh, math PhD? Do you need a? 
an astrophysics PhD, and I think we've we've covered this ad nauseum. But... <laughs> the short answer is you don't need anything, right? Yeah. Um, you can have any background whatsoever and come and do data science or machine learning or software engineering or whatever. Um, but you just need somebody to pick you. Uh, yes. I, I mean, need is a strong word, right? But understanding mathematical concepts can only help you, right? If you want to do machine learning, a lot of machine learning is calculus and linear algebra. Mm -hmm. And you can, again, turn the crank, even if you don't know those things, and get the right answers, but uh, you're using a black box in some sense. So I think it's better for you if you do know calculus and you do know linear algebra and you do know stats and you do know probability. But mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that you you know, have a PhD in them. It doesn't mean that you majored in them. It just means that you've managed to learn them along the way. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is, it, it's interesting that we're at a spot where, you know, you're always standing on the shoulders of giants. You, you have thousands of years of, of people writing things down and helping you remember, you know, and learn stuff that it would have, you would have never come across. So in a sense, you know, any jackass with a computer can pick this stuff up. Um, but yeah, I agree. I mean, being able to have an intuition about, uh, about distance in space is, is pretty, pretty fundamental. You know, when I was, uh, when I was an undergrad, um, and I was a math major and I took, you know, the a first course in topology, which is, uh, you know, the study of that's studying donuts and coffee cups, donuts and coffee cups. Right. And there's a point in the book and it's pretty far in, um, where it's a text. I, it was a book called topology by Moncrease. Okay. Like the red topology book. Uh, and there's a point pretty far in where he gets to a result and he says, this is the first like really impressive results in the book, or this is the first really novel result in the book. And he says, Halfway in. Yeah. And he says, what I mean by that is if you took this book and you presented all the results, but you erased all the proofs and you gave the book to like a smart undergraduate, then they would probably be able to like fill in all the proofs, you know, maybe with some help. But there's nothing like outrageous in them. It, it, it's a matter of understanding. But but uh -huh. this theorem we're about to do now like represents something truly novel. And most you know most mathematics undergrads, if you gave them without proof, would not be able to prove it because it involves some very like novel and creative ideas. Okay. So I always found that kind of interesting to, that mm -hmm. that way of one that way of thinking about things and to the fact that it was possible to draw that line and say everything under this line, you know, most people could do this thing above the line is so singular that uh, most of you would never have come up with it. Yeah. That is cool. You still have that book? <sighs> I do. Yeah. Maybe I'll borrow it. It's a, it's a nice book, but it's like all these math books where it's like, you know, a, a 300 page book that costs like $120. Sure. Fucking hate that. Nowadays, you can just pirate them all. But when I was, you know, when I was in college, we didn't have the internet or stuff like that, so you couldn't pirate anything. You could, uh, you could sometimes order, just steal it, just steal it from the store, steal it from the library. <laughs> sure. Go in and dig into the spine and pull out that magnetic strip and sneak yeah. it out under your jacket. Sneaker net bit torrent. You could sometimes buy the. They have these Eastern Economy editions that they sold uh, in India for like five bucks because. Huh. Um, and they were like paperback and printed on like newsprint. Oh boy. But um, it was the same text and they were a lot cheaper because no one in India was going to pay $120 for a math book. No, 
No, they get it. One time I ordered one of those off uh, off Amazon, and it was described as condition new, but when I opened it, there was like a, a bug that was smushed in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah. Like, and it... And I was like, this is the Eastern Economy Edition, so who knows like what diseases that bug was carrying before it got smushed in the bug. You never know. Yeah. Only one way to find out. Right. So what was the there was another thing we were gonna talk about that was related to school. It was the You were gonna complain Neil Neil deGrasse Tyson. Oh right. So So that's one thing to complain about. Well, that's and, not so much you know, complaining, but he's uh he's been tweeting this week about school. Um, in school. Right. So in school, so, you know, uh, he's been doing one tweet a day. I was hoping you'd do another one today, but he hasn't yet. Um, but Monday, call him up and tell him to do it. Monday in school, rarely do we learn how data become facts, how facts become knowledge and how knowledge becomes wisdom. Is that true? No, it's not true. I don't know. That's I felt like in school, comma, that's what we learned. I don't know, man. I, I don't even know what this means. How do data become facts? They don't. That's the problem. This sucks. How do facts become knowledge? This this guy drives me crazy. I don't know. How does knowledge become wisdom? Well, okay. I didn't learn this in school. I don't even know it now. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> so the fact is, this is self-recommendingly, in, like, in, it's negatively self-recommending. It's horrible. It's like, it's just pompous gas baggery. I cannot stand this. I disagree. Um, so this tweet in particular, I'm not like a huge fan of, but like some of the tweets I, I in this series, I actually kind of like much more than I usually like his tweets. So, okay. Um, this one, I don't know quite know what to do with. Rarely do we learn how data become facts. I like, I don't really know what the difference is. First of all, I don't, I, I don't like when people use the uh, data as a plural and make sure that they have the uh, plural conjugation. I prefer if see he said becomes. How data becomes facts. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even have thought of that. Yeah. Well, that's how much I don't like this. Um, so rarely do we learn. Um, I mean, I, I, I what I want to know from Mr. Tyson or Dr. Tyson is what's his goal here? Oh, he wants to. Uh, he's criticizing the way we do school. Okay. All right. And does he have a suggestion for? No, of course not. Okay. But he, yeah. he thinks we should teach the data to wisdom pipeline. Oh, that's okay. That makes sense. But not that I know what that pipeline is. Like, so what's the difference between data and facts? Well, that's the thing. Facts to me, that's a real bad word. So facts to me is stuff that everyone agrees on and it's common sense. Um, and I think it, uh, I think it's nullified by the fact that the scientific method is always questioning whether something's a fact. And I, so I don't like that. What's the difference between facts and knowledge? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Man. <laughs> Something, now, something's uh, a fact. If it's printed in a book, it's knowledge. If it's in your head <laughs> and it's, it's wisdom. If you're old, I don't know. Uh, wisdom, um, yeah, I mean, I guess he's right. Yeah, he's right. In rare, we rarely do learn this because I don't even know what it is. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't think this makes much sense. Yeah. Okay. So this is incoherent. Okay. 31k retweets, 91k likes. I mean, good for him. That's more retweets than I usually get. It's cosmic brain. Okay. Tuesday in school, we rarely learn probability and statistics. True. Leaving us victims of our mind's own inability to process random events. 
I think that even people who learn probability and statistics have, uh, you know, misconceptions. So, uh, but yeah, it's true. We rarely do learn these things. Um, I agree with that. I, I didn't really learn much about them in school. Um, and victims. Am I a victim of my mind's own inability to process random events? Um, I, th- I think that's, you know, this is a weird psycho, uh, you know, psychoanalytic question. What, what, uh, what, what, I think our minds are pretty good at processing random events. What does it mean to process a random event? That's the question. I don't know. If it's a random event that it puts you in a state of shock, you know, maybe then then that makes sense. But I, I don't know. This, I mean, we have four to go through, and all of them drive me bananas. So, what if processing random events means applying uh, Bayes' theorem to update a prior? Sure. I mean, also processing random events is, um, you know, figuring out how data becomes facts and how facts become knowledge and how knowledge becomes wisdom, right? Yeah. I mean, you could also argue, you know, if our mind is unable to process random events, then, you know, learning probability and statistics isn't going to help. No, not at all. I mean, honestly, what is, what in life is not a random event? Um, I mean, except if you have it on the schedule. Of course. Most things are random. Okay, this one. So, I, so this is. I give this one a D minus. Okay, this one only gets nineteen thousand retweets and only sixty three thousand likes. <laughs> Still, oh my God. Okay, Wednesday. In school, students cheat because the system values high grades more than students value learning. Yes, that's this is the only one that make this is true. It makes any sense. What does it mean that the system values high grades? The 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 goal and the the incentive is high grade. But so when I was in school, my parents valued high grades. Right. Um, okay. And you would get rewards if you got like really high grades, like you'd be valedictorian. Um, and I guess colleges also prized high grades. They do. Um, some of them. But other than that, like, I mean, at this point in life, it does not matter what grades I made in at any point in my life. Right. Nope. No one, no one knows what my college GPA well, was or cares. system. I think in system, he means um, the school system. The interplay, yeah, the interplay between the the school, parents, the whole thing, everything you mentioned, and then you know, and then higher ed too. But if the if the school valued high grades, it could just give them out, right? <laughs> That's true. Um, Everyone gets an A. The system values high grades more than students value learning. I don't think those amounts are comparable. Well, he's saying that's the reason students cheat, but. He's also saying that if students value learning more, they wouldn't cheat, mm-hmm. which I'm not sure about either, right? Well, that, you can't prove that either, no. It's just, okay, I could memorize Look, a bunch of stuff or I could cheat off my neighbor, right? But, or both. But is memorizing a bunch of stuff learning if I'm going to forget it the day after the test? Yeah, I don't think so. I don't, yeah. Um, Neil's on his high horse. But I think he's always on his high horse. And that's the thing that, that I think rubs everybody the wrong. I, I don't know. I, he must have some fans unless these are all hate retweets. 133,000 retweets, 333,000 likes. Fuck. How much? 133K retweets and 330K, 3K likes. God. That's a third of a million likes. That is just unconscionable. He, that's every person in America like that shit. No, it's not. No? 333,000. Oh, I'm sorry. I had it. Yeah, I, I I was off a little bit. It's one. It's one out of every thousand people in America likes it. Yeah, it's still a lot. I know, but it's really. It's probably most of them are probably Russian bots. <laughs> 
So let's get this last one over with. Okay. Thursday. In school, curiosity is hardly ever taught or nurtured, breeding legions of students who've lost all love of learning. You know, like, I get, I think I get the spirit. I understand. However, how, you don't, how do you teach curiosity? Aha. Uh-huh. How different is this yeah. tweet from, you know, my rationale for the Sudbury School? At, okay, at, I can see curiosity. I can see it being nurtured. Nurtured, Fine. right? They're, they're not teaching the kids to be curious, but they're nurturing their curiosity. They're la- allowing it to blossom. Fine, right? Totally. They're saying, you know what? Whatever you're curious about, that's that's what you do today, right? And if what you're curious about is season seven of My Little Pony, uh, which is what my kid is curious about right now because it just came out on Netflix, yeah. then you know that's she, she powered through it in like two evenings. But so I. I agree with, I, I think I agree with the sentiment here. This is like, you know, that the school system crushes any, any enjoyment out of uh, learning yep. uh, for a lot of children. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I can sign on for this. How many, how many? Uh, 29K retweets, 85K likes. All right. But it's also Fair. the newest, so it's had less time to get retweets. Yeah. Things. Okay. Although it's about 24 hours old at this point, so. I don't know what the over time of retweets and likes. How long is he going to keep this up? I don't know. I was hoping he would do another one today before we mm-hmm. recorded, but so far he hasn't. Well, are you checking in real time? I've got his page open right in front of me. I'm, that's where I've been reading them from. So, Oh, I have him blocked. <laughs> <laughs> what an asshole I am. Oh, my God. So, yeah, I, I believe the way Twitter works that if you were to tweet, it would pop up with a one new tweet thing in the list yeah. so i would see it okay um but you know uh one could say kudos to him for uh pushing back a little bit right yeah i it, through it, in spite of you know his tone uh, the last i'd say the last two are pretty good the last ones or the what's that thursday you said thursday yeah, yeah. i like that Curiosity is hardly taught or nurtured totally well i mean except for the fact that you can't teach it what would it, what would a syllabus or a curriculum on curiosity look like? <laughs> One question mark. Oh, this is a good question. How do you teach someone to be curious? I'm not saying you shouldn't or can't. I'm I'm actually I I I'm I'm changing my viewpoint a little bit. I think you could you can definitely nurture it. You can encourage it. You can let it let it blossom. Can you actually train people in how to be curious? I, I think so. Maybe definitely in how to be curious in effective ways and, and follow through and things like that, that type of stuff definitely can be trained. Um, you, you can being curious in some sense is asking questions, right? Mm-hmm. And you can definitely train people to ask questions. Mm-hmm. The same way you can train them not to ask questions, right? Sure. Yeah. And it could be as simple and I don't know if this would work and I'm not an educational theorist, but you know, you know, here's something that happened in the world. There's a hurricane in Florida, you know, write down, 25 things you'd like to know about hurricanes. Uh-huh. And, you know, if you can't come up with 25, keep at it till you do. And uh, uh, that, to me, that feels like a muscle that you can work, right? Sure. Yeah. And you can also encourage them to work in groups and, you know, play off each other and stuff like that. Yeah. So I feel like you could teach them curiosity. Now, man, you know what? I'm so, I'm, I'm, a, I, I'm I can't believe I actually like Neil Grass Tyson a little bit now. I know. Maybe I'll unblock him. <laughs> Don't go too far. Neil, if you're out there, actually, we'd love to have you on the podcast. Oh, yeah. He'd be a great guest. Welcome. I mean, just welcome anytime. (laughs) Absolutely. So, you know, we're coming up on the end of our hour, but to tie everything back to data science, you know, if we were going to make changes to our schools to 
better train students in the skills they need in not to be data scientists because not everyone's going to be a data scientist, but to cope in our data, machine learning, AI future, you know, what changes, what do you make? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I was really heartened last night at the parent conference because our kindergarten teacher uh, had a lot of sort of, you know, uh, approaches that are in line with, with what you and I've been talking about. You know, there's a lot of, is an emphasis on learning how to relate to other people, learning how to work together, learning how to, you know, attach, uh, attach, you know, focus on a problem and, and figure out what kinds of questions to ask and, and things like that. So I, I mean, that's the type of thing I think is important. I don't think, uh, <clears throat> I mean, I think, um, like you can hire the smartest person in the world if they are unable to, uh, work, uh, and cooperate with other people, then you've, you've hired the wrong person. So you're talking about soft skills then? I don't, well, I, yeah, I don't like calling them soft skills. Well, what do you like yeah. calling them? Uh, I don't know, human relationship. Heart. Yeah, it's, soft, it's fine. Soft, soft Heart skills. <laughs> Sideways skills. I mean, it's. I don't think that, I don't like putting them into a spectrum. I don't I think know. that being able to write software is, is orthogonal. Yeah, don't call them soft skills. This factoring matrices is easy, but dealing with people is hard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Actually, that's funny. Yeah. I don't know. What about you? You know, I, I feel like, you know, obviously I'm biased given the, the, the type of school I send my kid to. Everyone's biased, um, yeah. And the fact that I don't want my kid to go to college and, uh, you know, all, all that stuff. But, but I feel like teaching kids or encouraging kids to ask questions and when they do, you know, pointing them in the direction of here's not telling them the answer, but here's mm-hmm. how to find the answer. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I do that some with my kid. Yesterday she asked me, why is pizza called pizza? Yeah. That's a, that's a great question that I don't know the answer to. Great question. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's look it up on Wikipedia. So we went and looked, and it, yeah. there's an etymology section on the page, and it has, like, cool. five different theories. Um, oh, fun. Yeah, so one was, like, the same word that from pita bread, because, like, you make it on pita bread. One was, like, the same word that from pincers, because you pinch the edges or something. Anyway, there are several – the name itself is, like, you know, 800 years old, but there are several theories. And I told her, you know, there's this theory. She's like – What's your theory, Daddy? It's like, yeah, I don't really have a theory. I never, I never thought to ask that. But never thought. I've never wondered that. So, uh, but you know, kids, kids are funny. They they ask a lot of questions, and and I think trying to encourage them one, uh, encourage them to ask questions. Two, encourage them. Okay, that's a good question. How are you going to figure it out? Uh, oh, you know what? The, the other the other thing from 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 my experience, as well as you know, my wife also. When I see my kid try something one time, get frustrated and basically have a fucking meltdown that's it, it it tears my heart up and i think you know being that's the that's one that's a big thing that that uh can help kids is like making it okay to not be able to do it making it okay to not know making it okay to say i i have no idea i'm stuck that type of thing just being able to tolerate you know ignorance and and you know being able to get to where you're not ignorant. That's the big deal. Yeah, so. because if you think of the way, you know, tests and things are set up, like, I don't know is, is a bad thing to put, right? <laughs> yeah. Although, although, yeah, you, although, you know, if you think about, actually, I have no idea what, how the SAT works now, but when I took the SAT they still many years ago, they would penalize you more for a wrong answer than for leaving it blank. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and so in some sense, that was encouraging you to say, I don't know. Like, better to say, yeah, I don't know true. than... 
to just guess and get it wrong. That's a good point. I think you also get like a certain amount of points just for putting your name on it, right? Which is cool, right? So you 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 get you get points for knowing how to spell your name. If anything, I think that's treated as more of a game, right? The game is that you know here's how many points you get for I don't know, here's how many points you get for wrong. So if you can eliminate you know two wrong answers, then it's a positive expected value play to guess. But you know that's a time when kids don't know anything about expected value or probability, so they just memorize a rule. If there's four choices then it's good to say, I don't know. But if there's two choices, it's bad to say, I don't know. Yeah. It's like hit until you're at 17. Exactly. Well, I have a lot of hope for the future, uh, man. It's like I, uh, I don't. new, <laughs> new school year. Cause school, I mean, my sense is that school is almost exactly the same as it was when we were kids. Right. I mean, they use more calculators now and maybe there's more iPads in classrooms, but you know, you get to, you get to high school and you're taking, AP American history or whatever. And they're still, you know, making you memorize names and dates and giving you quizzes and writing the same old crappy essays about, you know, here's what the Holly Smoot tariffs were for. And, and, and so uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm a skeptic. That's Which fine. Is why I opted out of the system. Oh yeah. <laughs> Exit. Exit. All right, cool. Well, that was fun to talk about uh, education and back to school and everything. And, uh, just a reminder, uh, we talked about it a ton at the beginning, but Demystifying Data Science Conference, September 27th, 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Free live online conference. Go to thisismetis.com slash demystify. You know, the talks will, will be good. Mine mine will be a hot mess, like I said. Uh, I still have to write it, but it'll be cool. And, yeah, sign up. Yeah, be there and be square. Uh, yes, totally. Yeah. Well, thanks. Nice, nice chat with you. Enjoy your uh, rest of your day. If you like the episode, drop us a note, adversarial.learning.podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, adversarial underscore L. Rate us on iTunes or Stitcher. Recommend us to our friends. Give them the website, adversariallearning.com. And we'll see you next time. Just like I would to your girl.